0: Brent Keltner, author of the Revenue Acceleration Playbook. And unfortunately, you are joining Sassholes. So buckle in. It's gonna be a good ride.
1: Welcome to Sassholes. We are Revenue Ops with an edge. With decades of making interesting decisions. Jamie, Jason, Marcus, and Pete are dedicated to helping aspiring sales leaders accelerate revenues with our no BS approach to sales leadership strategies and tactics. Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market teams start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in the new buyer environment. Weeks one to three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kickoff and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment. Weeks five to seven, collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset. Week eight, all go-to-market team presentation and discussion. Winalytics build the revenue organization you want. Request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. Ask for Brett and say Big Pete sent you. We got some shout outs to do. Angela Malloy, seven years beyond Booksmart. Jay Lovelace, four years it Spins. What's going on, buddy? Jeff Page, new gig sales manager at Cozier Fine Arts. Jean Habib Himasi, promoted to regional sales manager at Workday. Elise Singh, promoted to senior strategic partnerships at Adobe. Donald Klukas, got a new gig at his own gig. Donald Klukas Lighting LLC. Megan Wood, two years at Mindstream Analytics. Paul Burgess, six years at Bill Trust. Rick Carner, new gig attorney at law at Victory Law Office. What's going on, Carner? Michael Zellner, new position, head of sales at Charter Up. Jesus, Daniel Tover, five years at Career Builder. Anna Milani promoted a mental health professional at Sharon Healthcare Woods. Ali Siccio got a new gig as Chief Information Officer, AA Medical. Jim Tramarco, new position, board member at Truvlop Marcus Wrench, new gig, advisor, Catalyst Software, Justin Michael. New gig. Executive coach at Nimchinsky. Michael. Melanie Boatswain. Member board of directors at AITP Atlanta. Mary Treishman. years at Winnetka Historical Society. Raul Castaneda. Six years at Electrolux. And we got some happy birthdays. Jacob Gamboa. Kelsey Johnson and Matthew Wagner. Another happy spinner. Valentine's Day,
2: fellas. Boy. Yeah, I mean, really, truly. <laughs> I
0: got my rose shirt on here. I for saw the occasion. that. <laughs> I saw that. Good for you.
1: Yeah, Brent, welcome to the Sassholes oh. Revenue Operations Podcast once again.
0: Yeah, glad to be back. Thrilled to be back.
1: <laughs> thank you for saying that. Yeah, he's the only <laughs>
2: person who's ever
0: said that, so <laughs> thank you.
1: Hey, hey Brent, talk to me about your post, your latest post on LinkedIn at... It kind of deals with marketing. And since we got Jason Farrar, a marketing guy, and we all know marketing sucks, or at least that's my opinion, you had a little conversation with the CEO. What happened?
0: Yeah, this is about go to market strategy and building alignment between marketing, sales, and customer success. You know, CEOs of the C suite often say, Hey, I hire experienced people, let them figure it out. And what they don't realize, and we all know this because we live it. Have you been on a go to market team? But sales, marketing, and Customer success are very different animals. They have different goals. They have different working styles. They are not, you know, kind of wired to get along. So if you don't work towards alignment, they will misalign. So my message to this CEO was, yes, you do have to own go-to-market strategy. You have to work towards active alignment. Otherwise, it's not going to happen.
1: How do you be polite? I've never acquired that skill, Brent. That's why I'm doing a podcast. Like,
3: <laughs> I, 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 I can attest to that. It's true. It's true. <laughs> how do,
1: like, how do you how do you tell somebody that their baby's ugly?
0: Yeah, you, you ask them questions. Let them realize that their baby's ugly. <laughs> Lead them there themselves. Is <laughs> what I find is the best. Uh, now, wait, wait, like, like that. how did
1: you li- how did you lead this guy to that path that's a my god i have an u- ugly child
0: well it, it there it was um you know look i mean nobody everybody was aware there was a lot of fighting honestly between yeah. the they different knew
2: they knew it right
0: yeah so they knew yeah. it and i just had to call it out i was like you know you guys have a great product market presence. You're not growing the last two years. And one of your biggest reasons is that all this disruption, the teams don't work together. So that kills your buyer and customer journey. I mean, just, if you don't get those teams aligned, your buyer and customer experience is herky jerky. I asked him, you know, what do you think the result of that uh, kind of conflict, that lack of alignment is? And we sort of got to, well, it's not very good for our upsell motion. It's like, no <laughs> kidding. So that, that yeah. to me, that's the way, you know, to like, I, I try, and you know, because we've talked about this, I try and guide people to their own conclusions, not put words in their mouth, but guide them to their own conclusions.
2: Do most, do most CEOs know this, but don't want to deal with it? Is that what's going on?
0: I think there's an even, I mean, there's probably, you know, the rule of thirds. There are some that really like this stuff and they active or active participants and active sponsors, which is the best scenario. There's a group, um, you know, that, yeah, they just don't want, it's a lot of work. So they just want to kind of put their head in the sand. And then there's a group that if they're educated
3: about it, will at least start to act as an executive sponsor. In terms of the payoff, Uh, And uh, if you compare uh, an organization that's with the normal amount of internal strife and internal conflict and competition versus an organization that operates as you describe, what's the actual difference in the experience of the people working in it? And what are the metrics that you can point to uh, to justify uh, the business case behind making this transition?
0: Yeah. So Gardner did a great study about I don't know, it's eight months or a year ago now that basically said if you have life cycle personalization, you will grow twice as fast as companies that do not. So they did kind of an A-B comparison. You will grow much, much faster because you educate your buyers quicker, right? You convert more of them from an initial deal. You close at a higher price because you're just educating them about value and you expand faster
3: can you just expand what you mean by life cycle personalization yeah. for people who are not familiar- yeah so
0: it's what we're talking about that your uh from your website to your prospecting and demand gen motions to your sales team to your cs team they're aligned in presenting buyer value in the way they engage buyers and customers around your value prop and they're able to do that you know for different lo- different types of buyers so it's a you can speak to buyers about personally what's valuable about your product to them and you can do it across your go to market team. So the payoff is huge. And, you know, I've been doing this work for 20 years as a revenue executive and eight years, 12, 12 years a revenue executive, eight years as a as a consultant now. And you see that companies that get into this alignment, boom, they just start growing. Uh, and the two biggest blockers are mindset, right, which the CEO has to own, getting those groups aligned Um, But then the other one, you know, just speaking to marketing is marketing has to evolve. To think about, you know, marketing for so long is content is for uh, demand gen, content is for our website. But the reality is content is what connects the buyer and customer journey.
3: Yeah, it should be throughout the entire customer journey, but appropriate. So it's got to be timely, relevant and valuable to the customer at that moment. hundred
0: percent. And so the way sales teams or the way. Customer success teams are going to use, are you going to use content the way prospecting teams are going to use content? Very different than the content, the hero assets that sit on your website, the webinars, the ebooks. You have to have shorter bursts, snippets, stories, blog posts that can be cut into LinkedIn posts. So marketing needs to think about: look, I might the way I can be really strategic and help the organization is I'm going to build this content strategy that personalizes value across my entire go-to-market team.
3: So Jason, to build on that, how can Mm -hmm. marketing work with CS and sales and product to ensure that we're consistently uh, delivering a timely relevant message throughout the life cycle of the uh, the buyer's journey uh, and to ensure that there's iterative feedback uh, coming into all of those other departments so that we're aligning around the customer?
2: There's not an easy answer to that. the quick answer around content and alignment is content comes from all those places you just mentioned. So there, there is no content unless there's a relationship with CS product and sales in order to understand who are you talking to? What are the conversations? Who are, who are the people? Where are they in in their life cycle? What's happening with our product? All that stuff becomes content. And so to create stuff, different parts of the life cycle you've got to build alignment and relationships among all those teams Um, and you know that that would be my first answer And, and we were talking about that um when when our that guest bill mahoney was on the call like when we were working together at career builder that's how that's where we discovered each other like wait you do that and i do this and we could connect here and drive a lot of content and that's really valuable that's where that starts i think and to brent's point if you have a ceo and that CEO is not pushing you to say, how are you building a relationship with these teams? Now there's probably more to it, but how are you doing that? Show me that you're doing that. Uh, you know, Those types of CEOs are the ones where I would say, Brent, to your point, the research shows they grow faster because there's somebody they're leading. Like that's what leadership is about, right? <laughs> so the the leadership to, yeah, market to build a bridge, you know, the, the company I was at before this, one of our values was build bridges, and that was the whole point. The whole point was
1: build or burn.
2: Build, yeah, build these. Really build, build, build. Pete, you're that. That's that's a you thing, Pete. You like to you like to <laughs> down. um, it down. So, Brent, I, that's what I would say, right? You've got a CEO. That's what leadership is all about, in in my opinion. That's starting to drive that alignment. I don't know if you you see that, like the example you gave in your LinkedIn. I mean, was that CEO a good leader? Like that, you know? I think that. Maybe that? Do you get into those conversations with CEOs about leadership? Then, if those
0: yeah, I'm, that's uh, book number three after book number two, which is book number right. two is on what we're talking about right now yeah. on the marketing side, creating an arc. But uh, so haven't really pushed into that. But I, I would. I mean, you're one hundred percent right. It starts with leadership, and so the opposite of the LinkedIn post today. We were um, two weeks back in Dallas with a company called ABC fitness, uh, that has exactly the right leadership mindset that, Hey, we are the category leader, but we can get even better by going beyond the enterprise and the mid market into the micro and the small. And we're only going to do that if we have life cycle personalization. So a couple of the core values that everybody in the company understands are growth mindset, one team, best life. Yeah. Right, yeah. so they are just laser-like focused, and that's what we're working on them on. It's got to be a consistent value prop across the organization. And so, what you said, Jason, is it's one, one of the, we we do two things that we often jumpstart people, and then we'll stay involved. Is we actually think of this idea we call them value plays, so that you can have a value, play. and we create a value play deck. And at the beginning of that value play deck is a like a brand promise slide. You can sort of see on one slide, what's the problem we solve? What are the measured outcomes around that? What are our capabilities that drive that? What are our best stories, right? So just getting that team aligned on, you got a value play deck that feeds that content at different levels. Uh, But then to your point, you have to build relationships. You can go back and kind of iterate and revise that every every six months, right? Things change. New competitors come in.
2: And, and that one team concept that you just mentioned I, I think is so important because it's the t- the team is not the marketing at at, at the level I'm thinking of it the team is not the marketing team the team is not the is not the product team it's the leadership team is the one team and then they they build the relationships and bridges and then they have the conversation about how do we connect all those things I mean I know this is sort of about marketing but
3: it's I want to push that a bit further because if it's just yeah. the leadership, that's great. Um, but where the different functional teams, the people who are operating and having to execute the job to be done are working in partnership with the customer, with partners, with each other. Um, then what you end up with is a much more cohesive um, uh, team, but more importantly, you're all working towards common outcome with all of you kicking into an open goal against the customer's problem. Um, and it takes ego out of it. It's a fantastically exciting place to work when you're operating at that uh, at that level. Um, so why is it that uh, it seems to be uh, culturally um, the 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 norm that we have to beat our people up, uh, drive them into largely pointless behaviors because if you look at most marketing and sales motions, they've got failure rates north of 80 to 90 or even 97, 99%. Um, that, to me, just stinks of waste. And, I mean, why does that? Per- why, why is that allowed to perpetrate or um, to continue? Well, you just said it. Ego.
0: Right. Okay. Right, and this is book number three, and we're already starting to do byline articles on it. But if you think about the way, way our brains are wired, we're wired to think about ourselves first we're wired to think we already have the answer right literally and people much smarter than me have shown that that we start with a conclusion and then we look for evidence and typically where we do build relationships we start with a tribal mindset we don't start with an egalitarian mindset right so you gotta unwind always as a ceo or a leader three mindset problems you have, which is, it's not about me. It's got to be based on evidence and good stories can come from anywhere. I was introduced to a CEO recently who's turning around. He had a successful exit about a $40 million company. He exited and he's now at a startup. And what he says is the customers are source of all truth. And that truth can come from anywhere. So if your managers are a blocker from the customer as a source of truth, jump your manager. Because we are a radically egalitarian organization, not not in how we manage, but in how we learn.
1: Yeah, two thousand and eight. Now you got two thousand and twenty three. How do you have a master class in revenue acceleration in a decelerating environment?
0: We publish a book called the Revenue Acceleration Playbook, uh, and it's about go to market strategy. But really, what it focuses is on is you know people that have buyer and customer conversations so prospecting teams sales teams account management teams in as we've deepened our work the other two spheres we're sort of realizing is one marketing honestly just helping marketing so the the next book which the working title uh this will come out next year the working title is the buyer personalization playbook It's basically helping marketing roll up from being, I mean, marketing has become with technology and all the content, very focused on activity and tactics and kind of lost the plot a little bit, not to offend Jason on strategy around positioning to individual buyers. And so it really, we're trying to help set up marketing and product marketing to regain the strategy. They should be running the market strategy. And then the third thing is, um, You know, what Marcus, you hit on is to be really a really effective go to market team. It's a totally different mindset than the the way our brands are wired. You know, we're kind of putting the pieces together and we are going to, I mean, we're going to be the leaders in go to market consulting because most people take a slice and a slice doesn't work anymore because your buyer doesn't care about your organizational slice.
3: Well, the, the, the key question is, because uh, I'm trying to do something very similar, building an ecosystem of go-to-market uh, providers, a uh, very similar mindset. Uh, my question is, how the hell do you not appear to be completely flaky um, and uh, convey this in a way that uh, rational people uh, who don't quite have, they're, they're not quite there yet, uh, what are the steps that you have to take to bring them along um, so that they buy in uh, and they don't just blow it off straight away?
0: Yeah. I mean, the first question we ask is, can your buyers see themselves on your website Good based course. on why they're thinking about working with you, based on their roles, based on the segments you serve? And the answer by and large there is no. Yeah. They, sometimes they can't see any of that. Sometimes they can't see a lot of it. And so if that content is, I mean, think about your content as kind of the portal for everybody, not just your customers, but it's where your internal team is going to go if they need to find resources. So if you can organize your website to personalize to your different buyers by role, goal, and segment, you're a big leg up on um, you know helping your internal team message. So that's often what we start with, and then we ask this question about you know, and have you built out value plays for you know the different goals that you serve or the different um, you know, buyer personas that you serve as a way of
3: keeping your team lined up. What, what do you mean by value plays? Can you define that?
0: Yeah, for us a value play, it's, it's not about your product, but what value does your product bring to different buyers? Have you been able to write that down in a way that's easy to share between your teams?
1: It's 2023. A lot of people are freaking out, Brent. They're feeling uh, anxious. Anxious is fear of the unknown. One of the things they buy from you, I would think, is to give them the feeling of control, the control of the revenue stream. Uh, What what, uh, communications do you give out there to say, hey, chillax? (laughs)
0: Um, Well, the way we've, I mean, the way we're approaching that is get in bed a lot more with your current customers. And your current portfolio, the people that I already know and trust you, you know, and how can you go deeper with them? Because that's your your risk mitigation strategy in 2023 is getting a lot closer to those people. So we're doing a lot more work with like strategic CS. How can our CS team move from reactive to proactive? Uh, we're doing a lot more work on the expansion playbook that we call it because expansion touches everybody. How do we do that? Who owns it, right? Between my sales and my account management and my CS, where does product come into that? What does my prospecting team do around existing logos? So the risk mitigation strategy here is figure out what your expansion strategy is. Is that your surveys
1: like Jason? How do you how do you get this data that Brent's talking about? Yeah, how do you I mean, get it's... how do you how do you get closer to your uh, customers? You should yeah. always be closer. How do you get closer?
2: Yeah, I'm, I mean, honestly, Brent, the last several sentences you said are, it's like my everyday life right now. I mean, this is what we're living right now. And my first thought, so Pete, I'll answer your question, but but my first thought was, I'm not sure that today's go-to-market problem is as much of marketing and sales alignment as it is marketing and CS alignment.
3: Mm-hmm. Like,
2: I I think we've spent so long on marketing and sales alignment and are just beating this drum about marketing and sales got to get along i not that they are at perfectly everywhere but probably more so than cs because for a long time the cs team has been off in this world with customers doing the uh upsells and cross sells and all that kind of stuff with no like real go-to-market motion from any of the go-to-market teams at all so so how do you do that pete um i mean we've talked about this before too most of the companies that i go to first thing I ask is let's talk to some customers. And the first response I get from the people that manage those customers is why marketing I want to talk to my customers. And so you just got to begin to build this like, okay, well, what are what are the pieces of content you'd like to know? And then you, you know, all those things are in the minds of the customer. And so you have to begin talking to and unlocking that information.
3: So Pete, you answer because I've got a
1: challenge to that. I have no answer. I mean, are we throwing out net promoter scores? Is that how we get closer? You know, <laughs> insert acronyms here like how do we marcus what's the feedback that we get from these well, customers that we should already be in bed with
3: well the first thing is we should be talking to customers way earlier yeah. uh, not just because we want to try and make quota this quarter or next uh we should be engaging with them months before and for if, if you're in sas and you're in enterprise uh, SaaS, you could, you absolutely can do that. If you're transacting at 50 bucks a month, maybe not so, uh, but even that you can play a longer game. Um, I-, I think the challenge is uh, how do you leverage um, the people who already know or are known by and trusted by your customers? Um, because the really smart money works on getting injected into their customers in half a dozen different places at different stages across the buyer's journey, uh, by trusted partners, by advisors, by people that they know, like, and trust. That's a really smart move, and it uh, shortens your sales cycle. So it means you streamline your sales process, you increase confidence uh, because you're being hand-delivered for the right reason and you're being properly briefed, um, and uh, performance improves. But my pushback to Jason is this. I think the real problem starts with lack of leadership and investor alignment with the customer, because their interests seem to be massively uh, desperate. There, there's there's no alignment. So I'd be curious about all three of your response to that.
2: I would ask you how you define the word customer. Are you do you mean pro, when you say the word customer, do you mean prospects too?
3: It, it can be, but it's I'm answering prospect. the question. It's serving from a... the people that you're meant to serve. Okay, so I'm answering serving the question your own a... self-interest first.
2: Yeah, so a customer is somebody that pays you money. A prospect yeah. is someone who has yet to pay you money. Yes. So I'm thinking of in terms of how do I talk to the people that pay us money and learn from them. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty siloed function in still in an organization. And to me, Brent, that's be. where no, it shouldn't be. But but that's where a lot of the work I think needs to be done. I mean, in, in the last in the last four companies I've been with, I mean, I'm I'm with our sales leader. Every moment of every day. I'm not with our CS leader every moment of every day. Like that's I think the next big frontier for companies. I don't Brent, your, your opinion. No,
0: I I I agree with you. And I, I think it's not just um marketing to CS, it's also continuing on sales to CS. Um, interesting uh strat Marcus just I heard an interesting what we We're actually doing a revenue leader series on exactly this topic of how do you beat more strategic CS, and so interviewing four CS VPs of CS from different industries, including ABC I mentioned, but another one is Mainstay. Um, It's about a twelve million dollars higher ed uh, conversational AI product, and you know Hillary Riley there said something interesting and obvious (laughs) where they actually have their uh, CS people join basically the closing meetings, like pre-contract and please sign up as a way of developing a relationship with the economic buyer directly because they're on that call. And so now when you want to get them back to your quarterly review, you've already got a relationship and you can play back their words. So your idea, Marcus, of coming in earlier,
3: yeah,
0: uh, I think is right. And so Jason, I think you're right. There's a ton of work to do on the CS side in terms of Making that group more strategic and more connected to sales and marketing.
1: Brent, the di- difference between 2023 and 2008 was there a chief revenue officer back in 2008? Um,
0: I don't think there was. I mean, that's a fast-growing category. I don't actually think that's uh, going to be a. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a continuing to grow category for a very simple reason that in 2008, most companies had a sales and a marketing department. That was the revenue organizations. Now they have sales, they have marketing, they have a SDR team, right? They have probably account management of some type. They got a CS team. They got rev ops. The complexity of the revenue organization has exploded. Which is the reason, right? That C—I mean, CROs generally are really strong salespeople that have moved into maybe learning something about positioning. But the breadth of that uh, kind of canvas, you know, there's no.
1: Has it been overcomplicated,
0: Brett? I—I don't. I would not say so. It's a good question. I would not say so. Well, you can't
1: said... say so. You got to sell you because you're selling to them now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's like you get, you get complex because um, we're talking about specialization of labor. You want people to be really good at specific things. But when the shit hits the fan, you want to point the finger at somebody. So I'm trying to figure out you're in a revenue deceleration environment right now that we're probably coming out of. Who do you point the finger at? The CEO? Who's head of sales? Is it the chief revenue officer? Or we're not renewing, it's customer service? Like what's the breakdown? And does it matter what the company size is? Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, I would just go back to this is where I think, you know, maybe at 30 or 40 or 50 million, the CEO is no longer the revenue owner. But I think, you know, CEOs make a big mistake. They just, they don't want to own that because who wants the pressure But the best CEOs, you know, own revenue until you get to a scale where you can hire, maybe it's a CRO, maybe it's a COO. Um, I've heard heard a
1: lot of people say the biggest mistake they ever made was their their first hire to scale was a CRO. Is that a true thing?
0: I think it's a true thing. I mean, I think the CEO should own revenue for a long, long, long time because this, it's usually the CEO that's got the vision, right, for where we're going and understanding the market differentiation. It's usually the CEO who has the most situational fluid, fluidity in kind of breaking new customer types. I mean, I, I, I will look, I'm interested to in hear other people's point of view and have we gotten over complex? I think uh, m- my experience kind of building playbooks for different go-to-market teams is you want people to have creativity. Situational fluency Really, really hard scale to build. Yeah. yeah, People will pattern recognize well across three or four patterns. You give them a dozen, boom, they just, it's hard. Uh,
3: how often then, uh, to, to answer your question there, Brent, uh, how, how often then is the founder um, who should be outselling uh, either fixated on becoming a really, uh, getting back to being a technician because that's what they really like doing. Um, and so sales is uh, something that they have to do Um, or um, they look for a CRO uh, as a get-out-of-sales-free card, um, and what they really want is a senior salesperson with a decent black book, Um, and uh, instead they hire someone with a CRO function, and then there's a massive disconnect because of the um, uh, uh, lack of alignment in terms of expectations, and no one's clear about it, um, because in the interview process, No one actually um, talks about the elephant in the room.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're like, let's say we're talking about a couple, what we call early growth companies, you got a couple of million in revenue, you're still trying to build that repeatable model to go into a growth phase. And how are you going to solve the revenue problem there? Um, You know, it might be the CEO is better on the product side, but I'd then get somebody on the you know, revenue side who actually has an interest in my company. Uh, there, I you know, I've heard, I've, I've read articles on this that say your best hire there is a ex-CEO who, you know, maybe started a company and didn't, you know, didn't work out, but they have a good sense of problem market fit and go for that. But that's not a, you know, at that stage, you're not just going to make sales repeatable by hiring some talent industry executives with relationships, because they'll burn for, through their first dozen good relationships, and then they can't solve the next problem to get to well, your ideal you, fire.
2: And you see that in the NFL, right? You see all the, like you see these offensive and defensive coordinators who've been head coaches somewhere, so they understand the strategic imperative of the head coach, and then they they're able to focus on their area of expertise. However, they understand how the whole strategy should work, right? And so I love this notion that you know. You hire an ex CEO or somebody to be your to be your salesperson. I do think the overcomplicating it question is is important because um, I m- the way that I would think about leadership is you got to put someone in a role who's better at it than you are, and that doesn't mean that you need a CRO. That means you need people who are better at whatever it is than you are. So so if you find someone who fits that fits that description and they're better in some way then that that's up to the how you want to hire and create a title but you you definitely need to have as a ceo i would think you'd have to care about revenue forever even if you've got someone who's really good who's responsible for running that for running that function whatever the title is
1: well doesn't it matter if you have investors yeah we, right that, yeah. yeah i mean that,
0: that we didn't come back to that question and i do think um You know, you you guys know that you probably read that article, the HBS article from I can't remember the guy's name in 2012 about uh, VCs bury their dead.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I remember one out of
0: eight is a big success Two others kind of break even and the most of them are
3: failures. It's even worse now. It's uh, 10 percent make it through series A uh, and 13 percent make it through series B. So one point three percent make it through to Series C. Wow, yeah.
0: So that 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 I mean, those expectations. Pete, I mean the the reality. Uh, I I, you know, I've worked with hundreds of companies at this point, and I've probably been exposed to two or three unicorns.
1: Yeah, and
0: yeah. I mean, it's a very. It just just doesn't happen that much for most companies. It literally is like a. Twelve to twenty-four to thirty-six to forty-eight months slog to get to your ideal mm-hmm. buyer and build a repeatable demand gen sales process. I mean, new well, businesses well, are
1: hard. This is something that Marcus brings up. I think investors they 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 just want to buy a predictable process with the with the lowest volatility possible. Be damned the people, right? Yeah, so, yeah I mean, I
0: I think it's rarely. uh you know, I, I wouldn't say that investor, unless you get off um, in is you're one of those ABC, you know, your investor and founder and company, you know, investor and founder incentives aren't that well aligned. And they definitely aren't aligned with the company and employees. You know, I mean, I there's a I uh, my first revenue leadership Career. I don't know if you guys know my background, but I was actually trained as a PhD social scientist. And what I learned to do is run great conversations because people didn't want to pay attention to me. And I was doing my research with executives. Um, That's what the first book is about. So I figured out how to break through the noise and get people engaged and and progress. And I went over to Kaplan uh, and then had a series of revenue leadership roles. The first one was really at Edge Venture. So we hit the market at the right time. I had a great product partner. We grew like a $10 million division in about three years. I wouldn't have retired on what the equity stake was worth, but I, you know, would have bought a place in South of France and sent my kids to college all paid for, but we didn't take the acquisition opportunity when it came right. Misalignment. (laughs) incentives. Ended up raising a bunch of capital we didn't need. We had kind of hit the wall on our market. Three years later, I get this letter at the sale on a- asset sale. I get this letter from the law firm with 77 cents taped on the page. <laughs> <laughs> That's your share.
1: <laughs> we have a poll that just concluded. We're halfway through the first quarter. And the, the, the poll asks, hey, have you received your quota yet for 2023 (laughs) and and over 60% have said no. Does that surprise you?
0: No, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I think, you know, the, uh, look, people are just getting beyond their SKOs. They've been a lot, sales kickoffs, right. It's been a lot harder to organize this year. Uh, just COVID backlog, people getting comfortable coming back together and, and all that stuff. Um, so I, I often see sales teams; they actually don't have their plan locked down until the end of Q1, and that can be frustrating for uh, you know sales producers. But on the other hand, you know they know they got kind of the they probably have an idea of what their number is in Q1 based on last year, um, and that's that's typically what they're working against.
1: But you always know you have a kickoff. Unfortunately, that's a whole other ball game. That's why Carney's not here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> But I mean, you're six weeks into the the year, and you're a producer. You're at the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, you don't share the same number as the CEO. C- CEO gets to b- to build fudge room in there, and you're at the bottom. You're like, uh, what, th- what do they call fudge? What's the f- uh, a fancy uh, wor- <laughs> word for that? Uh- <laughs> I'm, I'm not taking that, but maybe Marcus <laughs> or Jason will. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm well, good. no, the board, the board, good. get yeah, where I'm going with is the board gets a number. I'm sure the number has been given to the CEO and it, it, the the CEO didn't just get it today. They probably got it a while ago. You know, you have kickoffs. Why do companies run into this problem in the first quarter? You have people that are going out there with, with anxiety because they don't know what they're or, or they're sandbagging because they don't know what the number is going to be. Should I hold off? Right. So why do we go through this game every year? And if it's a game, why do we have commissions and bonus? Why don't we just pay everybody's salary based on their contribution?
0: Um, well, what's worse? I don't know. Somebody else want to take that? I'm happy to lead.
2: Uh, I, I was gonna, You should lead, but I was going to answer it by using one of Marcus's favorite lines, which is because most leaders suck. The leadership in companies <laughs> is awful, which is why they're not ready at that point. I feel like I just uh, you're, channeled. You're screwing up my
3: attempts in. to improve my image. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying kind of to you
2: know, your answer is important.
0: <laughs> so in in addition, what's worse than the anxiety of your Q1 anxiety as you're producing your incentive comp is having to change it at the end of the year because something was kind of wacky in how the year was set up. So it's a risk mitigation strategy because if you change it at the end of the year, your uh, sales turnover is going to be a lot higher than if you just wait.
1: (laughs) Or if you change, if you change it in the middle of the year when people are making too much money, I mean,
3: (laughs) well, well, they, I
0: mean, it's it's not the middle of the year, they're going to change it. It's like at the end of the year. And I, this is part of the thing that got me going to do my own thing was I was like sick of the goalposts always changing, you know, success didn't, but give you the financial upside but, that you thought you could get and just change the that, goal.
1: That, that, that's transparency. You look at all these corporate walls, transparency, yet they pull this crap every year and you have people pissed off. Even the big companies, unfortunately, Salesforce, we won't even you know get into that. They, they don't have their numbers yet. They don't even know what the equity guys are telling them yet. But uh, Marcus, go
3: ahead. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a huge challenge here because – Um, If we don't get real alignment across the business, then everyone's working across purposes. You've got the investors have one agenda. uh, Leadership is trying to serve that agenda. uh, And then the metrics that feed down uh, the people that they hire, the compensation scheme uh, are all being driven by uh, the valuation. They're not being driven by the customer's best interest. They're certainly not being driven by the employee's best interest. So what you've got is people operating in fear. They're operating subpar because their prefrontal cortex switches off and their monkey and reptile brain kick in. Um, How is that conducive to you making shitloads of money? It's absolute horseshit.
0: Yeah, except for, I don't know, I don't know, I can't remember everybody's background. But if you ever, if you ever run a sales team, there's 20 or 30%, you know, is just going to go out and kick ass because that's the way they're wired. And they're the ones who lead and they create a, you know, right, they create a, you know, co-opetition with everybody else, because they're putting meetings and putting points on the board. And so you damn well better re-recruit your top performers all the time and keep them happy because they drive everything. But, but are they going to be top no.
1: performers no matter what?
0: Uh, y- yeah, yeah, likely. And that's why you want some of those on your team because it creates a team culture of, you know, hey, there's all this noise in the background. There's all this investor stuff. There's all this. We don't have our comp plan, but, you know, you That's got- kind of what I'm
1: saying. If you know they're going to be successful no, no matter what, and then 80% is coming from that 20%, Just pay him a damn salary, Brent.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but the top performers—I mean, what they're wired for—is those kickers, right? Well, the the top performers can
3: negotiate a a commission-only deal. Um, When I worked with a publishing firm in London, uh, the top guy—he was making six hundred grand a year, commission only, selling um, uh, what's Uh, it—vouchers that have slipped into newspapers. Um, i mean as dull as dishwater but he was making 600 grand a year no one even came close the well, nearest one was making 120. i i don't even i don't want to get into the neuro, neuroscience with you guys but
1: the, these elite performers they're going to be, be elite no matter what as long as you yeah. have a degree of differentiation number one you you're ranked you're recognized for being better than everybody else and number two you are paid better than everybody else and three, you have less risk than everybody else because you're signing up to bring in more revenue than everybody else. And you have a fixed salary that will put you in the top ranks of market pay in the area. Just do that and quit all this other stuff. And you can get rid of probably half of your commission teams out there.
0: Yeah. So, the the you know, you guys probably know the study, the dirty secret of sales coaching also about eight years old and came out of the uh, sales executive board that's now part of Gardner. And, you know, what they showed is that we're the real opportunity in raising team performance. It's not those top performers. It's in your middle 60. And a well-designed coaching plan, uh, individual skills coaching, you can raise everybody by a band. So even big teams, I mean, it's like it's worth 15 or 20 percent. So um, my point is the leaders kind of set the direction. And yes, they're always going to get paid well, but the really top performing teams, they figured out how to raise that middle band. Uh, Everybody buy a band, right? So they just perform at a different level than the industry uh, peers.
3: Well, this is my hobby horse, because um, if you look at the research that LSE did, the London School of Economics with the BIS uh, department in the UK, um, what they found was where middle managers were trained to move their um, management style from one of command and control to one of uh, operational coaching, which means coaching on the job, in the moment, at the point of need. And it can be a 30-second coaching conversation or a seven-minute coaching conversation. No kumbaya, no incense, no need for an hour, no, none of the grow model. It's all about delivering that. What they found was a 74X return on investment across 62 uh, companies. The average manager recovered 20% of their working week, one full day. But now they spent 100% of their time on high-value management behaviors instead of low-value management behaviors. Low-value management behaviors being supervising, micromanaging, reworking, creating bottlenecks and being a pain in the ass cadence Uh, calls say again
2: cadence calls
3: calls. oh cadence calls all that shit Um, and instead what they spent their time doing was building the bench coaching strategizing cooperating with other people in other departments developing their people um and developing themselves and time for reflection i mean who knew that stuff might actually be helpful Because when you do that, a $1 billion company put 32 managers through this process. And in six months, they got a 426x return on investment. They're now rolling out to all 700 managers. Can you imagine? What was the name of the study? Um, It was a study by uh, um, the BEIS, which is the uh, Business, Enterprise, Industry, and Strategy Department um, in the UK government and the London School of Economics, and Notion, N-O-T-I-O-N. And it was a study on Star Manager, S-T-A-R, Manager. I well, can send you a copy. Yeah, well, send it.
0: One thing that any, any individual producer in sales or CS can work on, and that's, we, we talk about if you want to sell more quicker, you should focus on having great conversations We call them authentic conversations and really a great conversation. What it means is you anchor on the other person, your buyer or customer three times.
3: You always anchor on the customer three times.
0: Well, you always come back to uh, what they care about three times. So we say start every conversation with value discovery and that's ongoing. Like, why are they talking to you? What's their why? Right, so get get to something we call a success statement, which is how can you make them more successful as a buyer or a customer. So always start with what is your customer, what's your customer or buyers why. Second is uh, we talk about personalization, buyer customer personalization. Only talk about the parts of your product that are relevant to them, and don't share anything else. And then the third thing we say is buyer actions or customer actions. If they won't commit to doing anything after you've understood what they cared about, showed them how you could help, it's not a good use of your time. So any person in an individual producer role, you can get better at just, did I, can I recap my buyer or customer's why? I heard you say, Mr. or Mrs. Buyer, that what would make you more successful is X or Y. That's the first part. Second part is based on what you shared, I I wanna share this part of our product. I want to share this story with you. So I'm going to personalize every single conversation to you. And then at the end, I'm going to say, you know, do you see enough value to continue the conversation? And what would you need to do on your side to continue? So come back to your buyer three times in every conversation and make sure that you understand why, how to personalize that, why and what they will do about it.
2: In the inspection part of the, of the job, right? Are you doing your job as a, as a seller or a CS person? If you have that framework, then that person has to ask those questions because that's what's going to come out in the inspection is tell me what their why is. And so many times I talk to people and it's like, um, hey, tell me what their why is. And they don't know because they haven't asked it. What they've done is they've done a demo and they've done They've just done that demo without understanding the why. But if you use that framework, you're forcing someone. See, Marcus, you're forcing someone to ask that question.
0: Which I love. Exactly. And and, and that's probably why
2: it works, because it's like, wait, I'm gonna ask it, and then I gotta repeat it. So if I get it wrong, you're gonna correct me. And then we have now we have this understanding. Whereas before we used a framework like that, I never asked it. I just I made an assumption that I knew that. Exactly. I love that framework,
0: yeah. And yep. so rolling forward one step further, your inspection in the book, we talk about how, how to run these conversations. But then for us, uh, like you should be able to inspect a follow up email. Starts with a success statement, personalization of the product, ends with next committed actions. You can inspect the sales deck, discovery today on what they shared as yep, their why, about yep, yep. the partnership. You can inspect a proposal. Do I always have start with their why? There's a per, I'm linking their why to our product, and I'm asking them to take action. So, if you think about it in that way, inspection becomes a lot more. Your the inspection is about the buyer journey. It's yeah, not and, and it's not the seller journey,
2: right? And it's that coaching that Marcus was just talking about, right? Yep. So it's it's probably less inspection that I think that 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 connotes command and control, but it's more about like tell me about this interaction. Do you know this? Great. If you don't know this, here's a coaching moment, right? You should be asking this question this way and then reinforcing it like this. Like, so it just, it's a nice way to put all those concepts together. We're just talking about.
1: Brent Keltner, author of the revenue acceleration playbook. You had me at hello. How do I get this book?
0: (laughs) Amazon.com. search revenue acceleration playbook it should be the first link that comes up what is Winalytics? Winalytics is a go-to-market and revenue acceleration consultancy and we do a lot of work with sales teams but we also do a lot of work with marketing and customer success because it's got to be a connected customer and buyer journey in a very noisy buyer environment you got to capture them and keep them quickly
1: Brent Keltner, thank you for coming on this assholes podcast again. And thank you for your support, my friend. Yeah,
0: love it. Love it. Love the work you guys do. Great
1: stuff,
2: Brent. Great stuff.
1: Our show is supported by viewers and listeners just like you on patreon.com slash sassholes. Brent Keltner's Winalytics Revenue Acceleration Playbook Masterclass. In only eight weeks, help your sales and go-to-market team start to build the mindset and skills needed to succeed in a new buyer environment. Weeks one to three, read the book and learn a new approach through 20 successful company stories. Week four, all go-to-market team kick off and receive self-reflection questions and mindset self-assessment weeks five to seven collaborative sessions with prospecting sales and customer success on the shared journey to a new mindset week eight all go-to-market team presentation and discussion Winalytics build the revenue organization you want request a free 60-minute growth consultation at winalytics.com. ask for brett and say big pete sent you